Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's so great to be here in Boise, Idaho, and I'm so thankful for this opportunity. And uh, let's start with a greeting. How about Ryako? No, no, no. You can do better than that. Well, that's Swahili. It was taught to me by your own professor, uh, Mr. Harrod, and his son, Ali. So when you greet someone as Habariyako, you say Musuri. Habariyako. All right. So please try that on Ali when he visits you guys sometime. He'll be super happy to know that. Well, I am so delighted to be here. Just a brief recap about my life. Um, just as Danny shared with you guys earlier, uh, these past 10 years of my life have been the best times of my life. You know, we had, uh, that's a picture of my family, which if it, wants, if it comes up, you can see um, that's my wife, Jemima, and my daughter, Carissa. And these two beauties, Brian and Sophia, they just came into our lives four years ago and have just transformed it. They have been a blessing to us than we being a blessing to them. So we are super excited about that. And also I had a career shift as, you know, Danny was introducing. Uh, I was working in the tech world and um, a few years ago I was in a project with IBM and Stanford and we made a transistor using molecules. This is the smallest transistor you can ever have. And I was a molecular engineer and when we did this and we created this this transistor, it was the holy grail of science, and there was this physicist standing behind me, and he was jumping up and down. He was so excited, and I looked at him, and I looked at this. To me, this was a simple graph, and here is what was the biggest excitement that a physicist could get, but it was nothing for me compared to when I sit down and open God's Word, and, and God speaks to me through that. That gives way more joy and happiness than even the greatest achievements that the world could ever see. And, and that was what made me to make this shift into having a career to do that. And when I come to a place like this and see young guys like you giving your lives to study God's Word at this age, trust me, you've chosen the best path in the whole world. And there is nothing in this world that gives you greatest joy and greatest satisfaction than letting that Word of God be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Amen. So I wanted to share um, and encourage you guys a little bit before moving on to talk about other things to see what is God doing in this world? What's happening in the world around us? You know, I've lived in Boise for several months. I used to come up here to work for Micron. And so it is really a second home from me. And to say that Danny is my brother and Ali, uh, his son, adopted me as his own uncle. I mean, he really does. He calls me Uncle JP. You know, this is something I consider the greatest honor in my life than all the accomplishments I've ever had. And, and, and so being in this place, and I've lived around in a few areas. If we go to our next slide, um, what is happening in the world today? You know, this is in 2002 when we used to live in Germany. Uh, we had a small house church that was started with four of us and German students. 
It grew into 44 people with people from 33 different countries. And this is an amazing picture. I love this picture. I'm kind of hiding in the side. You won't see me. The guy at the center is a wealthy sheikh from Saudi Arabia who was pursuing medicine. Right behind him in this beautifully colored shirt is an awesome friend who was a refugee in Germany at that time from Togo and Africa. And this guy is hugging uh, Michiko, who is from Japan, and they are flanked by people from Hong Kong and China. Boy, trust me, that was heaven on earth right there. Isn't that what our church should be like? Isn't that what the body of Christ should be like? And guess what? That's how heaven is going to be like when every tribe, every nation is going to come and bow their knee before Christ and call Him Lord and Savior. And that was the vision that God experientially walked me through, and, and which is where this dream came about for me about His church. And let's move on to the next slide. And this is, um, unfortunately, the animations don't work. Okay, so... This is a picture that you're seeing here is that of a church in downtown Chicago. Well, if you, had, if you had looked at the pictures before and those of you who have traveled to Europe, you can see a typical European town has this huge Gothic or neo-Gothic church that's in the center of the city. It was symbolic of how the church was influencing all spheres of life back in the day. And now you move here and in Chicago, I took this from Sears Tower, you can see it's so hard to find the church. It's surrounded by a concrete jungle of multinational companies and banks, symbolic of how the church has now been pushed out to the outer space in any city. It no longer holds the dominant place it held in Europe or in the days when this nation was found. And this is the reality in any city that you go all around the world. I love to see, take a picture of this. I have a picture of this in Singapore. It's the same story. And, and all over the world, when you move into these big cities, it becomes a domin less dominating force than ever. And if you go to the next slide. San Francisco Bay Area is the place I call home, been living there for 15 years. It has people from over 90 nations. It's the most affluent part in the entire world. The top 1% of the richest people on planet Earth live in San Francisco Bay Area. Yet, less than 3.5% of them are Christians. And it's also the least philanthropic place in the world. And, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Verhees and my friend, Pat Kelsinger, who leads an organization, calls it, this is a place of rich pagan misers. And that is where God has called me and several of us to go and, and establish a church. But this is something that is interesting is 90 different nations are represented in San Francisco Bay Area. Same in New York City, same in LA, or same in uh, Singapore. Or you go to any of these large cities in the world, that's what's going on. Why is that? All over the world, people are on the move. And if you look at the next slide, you can see what's happening here. In, how do we live missionally in a multicultural world that's becoming more multicultural? Because you can see, as you see in the next slide, that people are moving in this century. Uh, the scale and velocity of human migration is unprecedented in history. And in the United States, you see the states that are marked blue are the states with more than 1.7 or more million migrants. 
And what is interesting to note is we are living in this age of migration where these people who are coming from different countries, they also bring their faith. And 75% of those who became permanent residents or citizens in the United States are Christians. So this is ratifying a study that was done by Andrew Walls, who is a world-famous missiologist. He has this quote in the next slide, which talks about, before I go to that, this is just a research I did in South Bay in Silicon Valley, right where I live. 23 nations, unreached nations, which is defined as people, less than 2% of those are Christians, live right in our back door in the Silicon Valley. And I'm part of a pastoral network with some of the mega churches in the Bay Area. And I was challenging them, hey, how about you don't spend those millions of dollars outside and just spend a small chunk of that reaching these guys in your back door. And one of them, he was a new church planner like me, and uh, he, he has his church right around where there are Irish immigrants, the Irish Catholics in Santa Clara. And he said, his name is Tim Riley. And I did not know. He said, Riley is an Irish name. I said, well, you just reach out to the fellow Rileys, and there will be an awesome Irish church in the Bay Area. Right? So God is doing these great things, and if you move to the next slide, I have this quote. Andrew Wall says, the direction of movement of people always coincides with the direction of movement of the gospel. You know, 100, 200 years ago, People were moving from the global north to the global south or from the west to the east due to colonialization and so many other factors. And that's the direction in which the gospel moved. And that's how German missionaries came to India 300 years ago and we got to hear the gospel. So when I went back to Germany and I was excited to walk into a German church and found I was one of the 10 people in this huge Gothic church and the pastor who walked in was so depressed it looked like it was a funeral service. And when we got to meet these German students, they wanted me to read Luther and Calvin to them. And I was like, things have turned around where God is now using the people who were reached before to come and reach those who sent them early on. And that's what God is doing. I wanted to share this to tell you the church is not all bad and gloomy and it's going down. God is at work in the world. He is so big. He moves people. He moves whatever needs to be moved till his kingdom shall be established on earth as it is in heaven. We go to the next slide to do this. What he does is Samuel Escobar, you know, he's a South American missiologist. He says, in the third millennium of the Christian era, Christian mission is truly global with missionaries from all places going to all peoples. You know, the ones who respond to the gospel the most to Indians like me in the Bay Area are second generation Hispanic Americans. And you know the ones to whom South Asians respond to with the gospel in the Silicon Valley are Korean Americans. Because Indians tend to think if another Indian talks to them about the gospel, we are called as traitors because you are worshiping a white man's God. And then if, if an Anglo or a Caucasian brother reaches out to them, they look at them and say, well, you're trying to convert me. But when a Korean shows up and does tremendous love, they're confused. 
and they, and they see Jesus, and they love this Jesus. Isn't this awesome how God's wisdom is so greater than the wisdom of this world? So next slide. Uh, this is what's happening in the world, and this is Mark Damas, you know. He, he had this quote, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, the church on earth should not be either, isn't it? And that's our vision and I spectra for which I'm the CEO, and we have a bunch of pastors representing all the major ethnicities in the Bay Area. Our desire is to encourage every church, white, black, brown, whatever color you may be, to be inclusive of everyone who lives in your neighborhood. Unless a church reflects the demographic of the neighborhood that it is placed in, it has zero credibility to proclaim the gospel of Christ to those around them. And that's the passion and that's the vision that God has given us. And let me go to, let's go to the next slide. So immigration, you know, people moving is one big thing that's happening. You may not feel that very much in Boise, Idaho, but the moment you step out and go to those places wherever God is going to call you to, and 70% of the world's population is going to live in big cities in 2050, which is in 15, 20 years from now, you're going to see this. The second thing that is happening, our world has changed. Our world has changed significantly. We are now living in what is known as the digital age. Let me unpack that for you. Let's move on to the next slide. You see, right, this is a picture that was taken by an intern at Facebook. You know, I live right across the bridge from the headquarters of Facebook, and I cross that every time. He mapped how are people connected, and this was several years ago. He found more than one billion people are now connected digitally with one another all over the world. And in the next slide, you can see how people are communicating using Flickr and Twitter, where a 140-character tweet was so powerful and good enough to bring down powerful nations in the Middle East, the Arab Spring, if you had noticed that. And then, if you move on to the next slide, this gives you a, a short, brief history of the world. They said initially people communicated orally, right, from time immemorial to 1500, where information was passed through word of mouth. Once Johannes von Gutenberg invented the printing machine, then came the print era through which people were able to read God's word. There was Renaissance, there was enlightenment, science and technology boomed, and then the world became a different place. And in 1950 came the television and radio which became the major way in which people communicated with one another, and that unleashed the broadcast age. But they say in 2010, the world has made a shift to what is being called as the digital age. You know, in the digital age, the world has been shrunk to the size of your smartphones and your keypads on your laptop, where with the click of a button, you can order anything you want to satisfy you in any way you want right then, right now. You know, and the Silicon Valley is a place which creates this digital technology that has a soft power over the entire world. If you think who is the most powerful nation or what is the most powerful force, it's the digital force right now. And in this context, the world has become flat, as Thomas Friedman, who wrote this book, The World is Flat. Seven out of the ten factors that Thomas Friedman said has made the world a flat place originated in the Silicon Valley and is controlling the world. 
But if you were to go and walk up to an average tech professional in the Silicon Valley, despite the busyness, despite the affluence, despite the power, you will see them tell you their lives are empty because there is no Jesus. How much money is enough to make you happy? It's how much power is enough to make you feel important. It's always a little more than what you have until you find Christ. You know, my friend uh, B.J. Jilani, um, he moved to the Bay Area from Iran. He's, he was in his mid-70s, and I befriended him as I was volunteering in the library, and he needed some help with computers. And then he started inviting me home. He claims to be the photographer, official photographer for Shah in Iran before the revolution happened. He's a staunch Muslim, and he invited me home for dinner. And as he was serving this awesome Persian meal, he looked at me and he said, JP, you know, I was born a Muslim, and I'll die a Muslim. You know that, right? You know what that means? It was a wheeled threat. Don't even try to talk about Jesus to me. And it was a few months into our relationship, he calls me literally in the middle of the night and say, JP, can you pray for me? My wife has just been diagnosed with cancer. And she had been befriended by another South Asian woman in a place of work. And, and we prayed, and a few months later, God answered our prayers. And they both showed up to our church anniversary unannounced with this awesome Persian gift because they wanted to give a thank offering to God. You see... Even those people need Jesus. So what is God doing in all of this, and where are we going from here? What does the Bible talk about as what is our expectation to reach people like this? If you go to the next slide, please. What does it cost for you and me to be on mission in this world as God is calling you guys and taking you? There are three things I want to challenge you with. I understand you are here to learn God and learn about His Word, but you're going to be the future pastors and missionaries and professionals that God is going to take and plant in this world He has created. And these are three simple things we need. You know, being on mission requires sharing our space, the power of hospitality. It involves inviting someone into your home. It's very simple. You know, Jesus invited himself into the home of Zacchaeus. He didn't even have to dump down or shove the gospel down Zacchaeus' throat. Just his presence had a redemptive effect in his life. You know, I, I understand, you know, in the West, you know, this, this individualistic me being the center of the universe idea and the concept of personal space and time has made this so difficult to reach the world. Because the guy who doesn't look like you or doesn't think like you does not care what you believe unless he knows that you care about who he is. And he is not going to know that you care who he is unless you open up your personal space and let him in to your home. It's, it's tough. It's easy to preach a sermon or share the gospel to an unknown stranger on a bus than inviting that same person 
into your home and sharing a meal. Let me challenge you, try that with someone who doesn't look like you. And trust me, the world opens up for you to minister to them. Secondly, being on mission requires sharing our time. You know, the concept of time is very relative, right? And, and, and I used to be in Germany and live in Germany. Germans are known for their time. They have zero tolerance. You can't be even a minute early or a minute late. Then I come to the United States and I feel um, for any meetings, you can show up to like five minutes. And beyond five minutes, if you're late, it gets people really upset. And then you go to India. In India, you can show up up to one hour late and it's totally fine. There's no one get, takes an offense at it. Everybody understands you had some stuff and you were having fun. And Danny tells me in Africa, it's three hours is totally fine. <laughs> Boy, do I not want to live in Africa. <laughs> but you see, it's going to take effort to build that relationship by sharing our time. The busiest person, the one with the most important task on earth was Jesus, and yet he spent an entire chapter's worth of time with a Samaritan woman at a well. The least significant person who the word respects got the most face time from Jesus himself. And they had the most amazing dialogue and Jesus touched her life and transformed her life and she goes and changes her whole city for Jesus. Would you do that? That person whom you meet and you think may not be the most important one might be the most important one that God wants to use you. And thirdly, being on mission requires sharing ourselves. You know, the power of relationships. It involves truly putting your place, self in a place where you can build those relationships. You know, I found Jilani in a library where I was volunteering for fun. And out of that grew this personal relationship that he invites me to his home and I invited him to my home. And, and, and in all that ordinary things, God did something extraordinary in bringing him to Christ. So these are three simple things, but three powerful things. Space, time, and ourself, and hospitality, love, and relationships are the simple keys through which we can go and make a difference in this global world, in this digital world where people are so disconnected. A friend of mine who's pastoring in the Silicon Valley is coming up with a new book. It's titled Analog Church. He says how... However digitally connected you and I become, the church cannot become a digital community. It is still analog. It is still relationships. It's still authenticity. It's still me being me and you being you and Christ being Christ. And discovering that in the context of community. And that's the kind of church the world needs. And we see that happening in the, in the, in the first church in Antioch, where God brings all these people together and unleashes them to do this for Jesus. Now, how is this going to be possible? Jesus says, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. And that's why he came and he, and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount where he unpacks for us this upside-down kingdom that he is about to build. He says, I have come here on earth to build a new breed of disciples. 
A new breed of people. He keeps these 12 people in front of him. He looks at the crowd and says, all these 12 guys you see, their lives are going to be radically transformed because I'm a new kind of a king and I have come to unleash a new kind of a kingdom that includes people who are going to be radical disciples for me. And every single one of those guys we all know from church history literally gave their lives for Jesus. And he says, I want to tell you how you and I can also be part of that kingdom. And he speaks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at the next slide, the first few things that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount are the secrets of blessedness, the secrets of happiness. Even in a digital world, he says, this is how you can be blessed. It starts with being poor in spirit. You know, you cannot live this missional life that attracts others if you think you're the most important person. It starts with emptying of yourself. It starts with the discovery of how radically sinful we are and how gloriously majestic is the grace of God through Christ on the cross. If you have not had that experience, you cannot do all the other stuff that I was talking about. Then he talks about once you discover that, you experience mourning. You are sad that you have seen, oh, is this the real me? I thought I was a cool guy. I thought I was awesome. I thought I was amazing. But oh, I see all this darkness, this brokenness, and then taking that to the cross and letting Jesus come in and radically restore your heart is the second step. And, and once you recognize your real self, it makes, makes you to become a meek person. You know, the world does not need powerful men and women. It needs meek men and women. Meekness is not weakness. You know, the Greek word prowess was used for uh, taming of a wild donkey or a wild horse. When its power is not controlled, it goes berserk. But when it is tamed, it can go in a direction and accomplish great things. And once you experience that meekness and people see that, they are going to say, I want to be like this person. I like this person. And now you're going to long for righteousness and thirst for righteousness like the deer pants for water. You want to be like this, Jesus, once you get to that place in your life. And it says, the blessing is this and the promise is, yes, when you become poor is when you will be rich. You're going to have the kingdom of heaven. When you mourn is when you're going to be comforted because when you repent, God is going to grant you repentance and salvation. When you become meek, you're going to inherit the whole earth. You can lose everything here and you can gain everything in heaven. And when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, guess what? He may not give you all the money you want. He may not give you all the power you want, but he will give you all the righteousness you need because it has already been accomplished by Christ Jesus. Jesus on the cross. And all of these are internal stuff because Jesus realizes you want to be a missional person in a multicultural world, it starts with your heart. You want to be able to share your time and your space and yourself, it starts with your heart. If you have not had these experiences internally, you cannot display those virtues externally. And he says, then you, and this is how you enter into my kingdom. And once you are in my kingdom, you know what kind of a person you're going to be. So I says about that in the next slide. All these external manifestations will happen. You'll be a merciful person. You'll have the power of forgiveness. When someone hurts you, you can forgive because you have received mercy and you can give mercy. And he says, you're going to be a person who is pure in heart. You're going to want to grow closer to Christ because you're going to be blessed with being able to see God in the light of his word. 
and you are going to be a peacemaker in your own life, in your relationships. You see the world at war, and there is brokenness, and there is the effects of sin. You want to be a peacemaker in making a difference in this world for Christ, and that's the kingdom I am building, and that's what I am inviting you and me to be part of. And if you ask the question, what do I get after all of this? This is America, right? I loved that skit. You guys were awesome. I, I constantly run into people like that. This was so good. What do I get? That's been the trend in most church planning efforts. Let's build a church that people like so they can come and feel happy. You know what Jesus says? Unfortunately, if you go through all this, you do all this, you see in the next slide, he says in Matthew, you're going to be persecuted. Man, that's not a sales pitch. You don't do that in the Bay Area. You get 30-second elevator pitch to tell you your product is going to make life awesome. And Jesus is like, after all this, they're going to come after you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to take everything from you. Your life's going to be pathetic. Who wants just Jesus? Who wants to sign up for this king and be, let him be the king of your life? Well, thankfully... Jesus Christ was the one who went through all of this. He emptied himself on the cross. He came meek, riding on a donkey to show people he's a different kind of a king. He let his body be crucified on the cross so he can make between peace and become the righteousness of God in our lives. And when we have that Jesus in our hearts, we will be able to become this kind of missional person wherever God may take us. And whatever may be the age and time, so this world can be redeemed for him. Can I pray for you guys? God, we thank you for this time and for all these wonderful young men and women who have committed their lives to know you and to be used by you. We know the world is changing, the times are changing, and people are changing, but your gospel never changes. You are the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave himself up on the cross. Our, and we want him to be our king, the gentle king, who can come inside our hearts and radically transform us so that we can be your kingdom agents in this world, helping unleash your kingdom one person at a time, one city at a time, and one nation at a time, until all the earth will come and place their faith and trust in you and glorify you. And I pray for all the students, God, and for all the needs that they have, the physical needs, the financial needs, the emotional needs. I pray that they will find you to be an all-sufficient Savior and King. And that the years that they spend here will make them to be these kingdom men and women that you want them to be, that you can send them into this world and help make your kingdom come as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.